Probably the first month that we're here, we're going to be working out on the kinks. So, bear with me. Let's see. Should I move closer to the middle? How's that? Sweet. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Yeah. Welcome. I'm pretty excited about this place. It's like, it's, I feel like it's just ratchet enough. You know what I mean? It's kind of... <laughs> you didn't see it before. <laughs> now I'm just playing. Um, can we turn out the backlights? I'm just trying to keep it as cool as possible in here. For my eyes even. Uh, is that all right? That's cool. Yeah, we're gonna have to get some fans or maybe get this thing working. I'm kind of scared to use it. <laughs> we'll see. Oh, wow, that was loud. Okay, great. Cool, let's get started. We're gonna read from Luke chapter eight. We're gonna read verse 40 through 56. I think it's through the end of the chapter. Luke chapter eight, yeah, 40 through the end of the chapter. For those of you who are uh, visiting or new, just wanna, um, is this still on? This is gonna be great for sermons high-intensity moments. Okay. Uh, for those of you guys who are new or visiting, the way that we teach the Bible at Tribe, or the way that we've been doing it, is we pick a book um, or a, a large section of Scripture, and we go through, verse by verse, all the way through that entire book. And that does a number of things. Number one, it means that as preachers and teachers of God's Word, we don't get to skip the hard parts. Because believe it or not, if it was just me preaching about the stuff I wanted to preach every day, it would be different. But when you commit to preaching the whole Bible, you preach about the stuff that God found important enough to put in the Bible. You guys know what I'm saying? And you don't get to skip the hard stuff. That means it challenges the speaker theologically and it challenges us all as we read even the, the hard stuff of what Jesus said. Uh, Kuhn had to preach the one where Jesus said you have to hate your mother and brothers if you want to follow me, right? Normally you would just skip that one. <laughs> but he didn't get to skip it. So, we're going to be finishing chapter 8. We started at chapter 1 like a year ago. So, there's a lot of verses in Luke. So, let's read it together. It says Luke chapter 8. Uh, verse 40 through 56. I'm going to read from the NASB version. <clears throat> and as Jesus returned, the multitude welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to entreat him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the multitudes were pressing against him. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were still all denying it, Peter said, Master, 
The multitudes are crowding and pressing upon you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, do not be afraid any longer, only believe, and she shall be made well. And when he had come to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they all began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. Her spirit returned, and she rose up immediately, and he gave orders for something to be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what happened. So let's pray. Father God, I just want to thank you for this beautiful miracle, these two miracles that you have recorded in Scripture. I pray that you'll open our eyes to the message this morning, what you want to teach us through your word. God, I pray for more miracles. I pray for miracles in this community, miracles in our families and in our hearts and lives. Thank you for Jesus, the King. Thank you for coming. Thank you that you gave him power, Lord, to, to do wonderful things on earth. Thank you that his power still exists to do powerful things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So... I want to talk to you guys about a historical figure today besides Jesus. Are you guys ready? You guys have your notebooks? <laughs> All right. We're going to learn about Blase Pascal. Everybody say Pascal. It sounds better in French. How do you say it in French? Pascal. Les Pascal. Okay. In the 1600s lived a man named Pascal in France. You may not know him, but this person has influenced your life in ways that you don't even know about. Raise your hand if you've ever taken a math test. Okay. Now, would you rather have taken that math test with scratch paper or with a calculator? Raise your hand if you want the calculator. Either I need a calculator or my wife. She's the math person. Scrap paper ain't doing it for me. Well... If you chose calculator, say, thanks, Pascal. Thanks, Pascal, because this guy invented the calculator. He was obviously very intelligent, even from a young age. He is credited with some very important advancements in mathematics and in physics. So you probably know about him, Marshall. Yeah, yeah see, he knows all about him, right? Okay, uh, you're not convincing me. I read somewhere, I don't know if this is true, but I also read somewhere he, he invented like the first bus route. So if you take the bus, you can thank this guy too, apparently. I don't know. Not a very handsome guy, but very intelligent, apparently. Okay. When he was 31 years old, he had a change in direction. Nobody knows exactly what happened, but he had some sort of experience with God 
And the experience was so intense, he wrote down a poem about it and sewed it into his coat so he could re be reminded of it all the time. Can I read you guys a poem? Well, you probably can't see that. <laughs> Working out the kink still. Poem goes like this. This is literally what was sewn into his coat. In the year of grace, 1654, Monday, the 23rd of November, Feast of Clement, Pope and Martyr, and others in the Martyrology, Vigil of St. Christonius, Martyr and others, from about half past 10 at night until half past midnight. So we say something happened in between these two hours. Fire! God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feelings, joy, peace. God of Jesus, my God and your God, your God will be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul, righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave me? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and the one you sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I left him, I fled him, renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet. Complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. And he sewed that into it. They didn't have iPhones back then, so you couldn't just pull it up on his iPhone. He had to sew it into his clothes. Nowadays, he would just get a tattoo or something. No. From that point forward, his heart and soul were set on God and knowing him more. He even started writing a big theological book. But unfortunately, he died at age 39 before he could finish the book. But after he died, they found the poem sewn into his coat and the manuscript for his book, and they published the book anyways. You can get a copy today even though it was unfinished. But what happened to Pascal, such an intelligent mind, it seemed like he had everything together. It seemed like he was going to surpass all of his peers. He had the universe in his palm. What caused him to turn to God? Perhaps this little excerpt from his book will give us a clue. You read this one, hopefully. He says... What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace? This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there to help. He cannot find in those that are, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. This is in the book that he died writing. 
In more common language, he argued that we humans have a massive hole in our hearts where God is supposed to fit. And as humans, we feel that we need something in our lives. We feel like there's something missing, and we're always striving and working really hard to fill that hole with all sorts of stuff, with all sorts of things. People ask me, am I really happy about this building? Yeah, I'm really happy about it. But you know what? You know what I'm really happy about? I'm really happy about God. I'm really happy about Jesus. Really, this building, although I'm glad that we get to meet here on Sundays, isn't, in the scheme of eternity, a big deal. This thing is going to be destroyed eventually. Only the soul is eternal. So, not really. I don't take a lot of joy in it. I mean, I'm happy. Don't get me wrong. I'm thankful. Thank you, God. However, our purpose here isn't to work on a building. Amen? What Pascal was saying is that there is this massive thing. We feel like we've got to fill it up. That's the hole in the heart syndrome. Have you guys heard this? The hole in, this is where it came from. Hole in the heart syndrome. The only thing that's going to quench us and satisfy us is God. Because that's what we were created for. So our scripture today is really about two people who sought Jesus for different reasons. And each needed a touch from him. Let's look at verse 40. It says, And Jesus returned. The people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him. Jesus, right here, was fresh off of his trip across the Sea of Galilee, and he was returning to Capernaum when the crowd found him, and immediately they were in demand of ministry. So he had just left, went across the sea. A lot of funny stuff happened there. He had to cast a demon out of a naked guy. That was earlier. You could read that on your own. We already preached on it. Um, what else happened over there? There's some other stuff, right? Oh, he calmed the sea. Remember that? That was just Walked on water, all that. No, I think that was later, or earlier. So the sea got calm, though, and he cast out the demon. The, the demons went into these pigs. All this crazy stuff happened. Now he's like, okay, he tried to get a break. It didn't work. He comes back to Capernaum. And the people were there waiting for him because there was more ministry to be done. Now, Jairus was an official of the synagogue there in Capernaum. Probably a very famous and well-connected, well-to-do man in life, since he was a leader of the synagogue. He probably had quite a few connections and knew the best doctors around. And most certainly he heard about Jesus, because earlier in Luke, if you guys go back to chapter 4, Jesus had cast out a demon from someone in that very synagogue in front of everybody. And that kind of stuff had pretty much not been done before. So it really, I'm sure, left an impression. So he knew who Jesus was. Jesus came into his synagogue, preached, cast out a demon. So he remembered him. But now it happened that his daughter, his only daughter, was sick. And so he set out to find Jesus because he knew what? The doctors weren't going to be able to help his daughter. She's too sick. But he saw Jesus do some miracles. So he's like, I bet if I got that guy to come touch my daughter, she'll be healed. Is that logical? Well, yes, it is. If you see Jesus doing miracles, you're like, that's the guy that can do it. I'm going to go to that guy. So luckily, Jesus came back. He went and sought out Jesus. 
for the healing of his daughter. Jairus sought after Jesus because of death. Even though he was a successful man, well-connected in the community, doing good things, even a religious leader, the impending death of his daughter left him helpless and seeking help. All his success and blessings was worthless if his daughter could not be helped. Something about death tends to humble us and send people seeking for a higher power. You guys know what I'm talking about? Something about death seems to humble us. Everything could be going great in your life. Everything could be going great. Things could be going well. Death knocks at the door. And suddenly, you recognize, I need to know God. I need God. Because this is serious business. No one's getting out of it alive. This is serious business. Many of you guys know I spent five years of my life as a teacher in one of California's most at-risk and violent communities. Year after year in that community, there'd be a lot of suffering and tragedy as young people would die to gun violence. Actually, they just had their longest period of no gun violence in as long as people can remember. It was five months. No one got murdered. Huge. And it's a small community, probably the size of City Heights. That was a big deal for them. And immediately at the end of it, there was three homicides all back-to-back because of back-and-forth gang violence um, last month. However, in this community, violence is sort of part of the everyday life. It, you know, it was so bad that as I was teaching, and I would have more students in my class than there are people here, <laughs> I would not let my students leave to go to the bathroom in my class. The door was locked. The door was locked. You couldn't come in my class. You couldn't go out of my class. And the students would say, I have to go to the bathroom. And I would say, should have thought about that before you came into my class. Now, they thought I was being mean, but I wasn't being mean. The reason I didn't let the kids use the bathroom is because when I started teaching at the school, they'd go to the bathroom and they'd come back bloody. And their faces would be leaking blood. And, and I would be like, what happened in the bathroom? And they'd be like, I got beat up. And so after a while, after so many times that happened, I just decided, you know what? No more. We are holding it down in this class. The door's staying locked. No one comes in, no one comes out as long as my class is in session. Because on my watch, it ain't going to happen. So that made me somewhat unpopular with the students for a while. <laughs> because you know how it is. Everyone wants to go dilly-dally in the halls. But anyways, that was the case. No matter what, when someone was killed in the community, even if they were a known gang member, the people would be devastated. And it was over and over. And, and discussions, you know, I would have with some of the students, I would ask them about the implications of what that meant. If there's no God, listen, if there's no God, and this is a normal thing, if death is just a normal biological thing that takes place, that has always existed, then why does it bother us so much? If there's no alternative, if everyone and everything must die, why does it feel so wrong to us? Why is it so messed up? It's normal. We should just, it should just be what happens, right? So why do we go on trying to fight what is natural, normal, and inevitable if, it, if it's a big deal, if it's not a big deal? Why isn't it just matter of fact? Well, the answer to that question is that death actually is not supposed to happen. If you have a Christian worldview, Mankind was never supposed to face death. We were made for eternity. 
It feels wrong because it is wrong. And when we face it, like Jairus, we want to fight it because it's just not the way it's supposed to be. So when his daughter got sick, he was feeling the same way that we would all feel. This isn't what's supposed to happen. We're supposed to live and grow happy. Like, how could this happen in my life? And he did the right thing. Jairus did the right thing. He went to the one who had the power to help his daughter. That was Jesus. He knew that a touch from Jesus was all he needed. Think about that. He knew that a touch from Jesus was all that was needed to make things right with his daughter. Let's move over to verse 43. There's Jairus asking Jesus for help. Verse 43. A woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. And Jesus said, Who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out of me. Here's the orthodox icons of that event. Now Jesus, before he could go to Jairus' house, had an encounter with this unnamed woman. Now there's some details you should know to understand the situation. Are you guys ready? In the Jewish culture, women were considered unclean in a time of bleeding. And this woman would have, not, would have actually been considered unclean, meaning that she was not allowed to touch anyone. It was a health issue she had. It was 12 years she was probably an outcast from her community for 12 years. Not just a health issue, but in this situation, it was very negative, very sad. In many ways, it was the opposite of Jairus because Jairus was famous and well-known and we didn't even get this woman's name. She wasn't popular. She wasn't even allowed to touch people. She couldn't go into the temple. She probably couldn't even go into Jairus' synagogue because of this, the way that the Jews um, understood being unclean. The hemorrhaging woman sought after Jesus, death, but because of life. She was an outcast in the worst circumstances in her culture. She was barren. She couldn't have kids. She was unclean. She was unable to um, even touch her husband if she even had one. And she was in exile even among her own people in her own life. That's low circumstances. She was helpless, seeking help. She had a grave hole in her life. It wasn't the way it was supposed to be. But she did the right thing. She went to the one who had the power to help. She knew a touch from Jesus was what's needed. You guys see how they're similar? Both seeking the same thing. Totally different circumstances, but they're both seeking the same thing. Verse 47. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people, the reason why she had touched him. And now she had been immediately He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. I can tell you already what she expected when she touched Jesus, which is why she was shaking. She was expecting Jesus to say, Ah! An unclean woman touched me! Because that's what anyone else would have said. Now he has to do this washing ritual. A lot of drama. But... That's actually not what happened. She was afraid. She was trembling. She had to explain herself. She fell down and she bowed before Jesus, looking 
for mercy. But instead of a rebuke, instead of getting corrected, instead of getting slapped or looked at with disgust, she was met with healing and wholeness. And Jesus said to her, what? Your faith has made you well. Go in what? Go in peace. After the encounter with Jesus, she found healing and peace. That hole in her heart Pascal was talking about was filled. Next part of the story is at verse 49. I'm going to finish it out. While he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue officials saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble this teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter except for Peter, John, and James, and the girl's father and mother. Now they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, Stop weeping, for she has not died, but she is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately. And he gave orders for something to be given for her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Guys, this is a difficult and sad situation. While Jesus was dealing with the hemorrhaging woman, the message comes that Jairus' daughter had died. But pay attention to the words of Jesus. What does he say? Do not be afraid any longer, only believe. Listen, do not be afraid any longer, only believe. And in front of those mourning, in front of her own parents, and with his best disciples, he touched the young woman, and right in her midst, defeated death. He said, stop weeping, as only Jesus truly has the power to stop us from our weeping. And after he raises her, he says, I love this. This is the best part of the story, if you ask me. After he raises her, he says, go get her something to eat. I can tell you the truth. If I died and Jesus brought me back to life, first thing I would do is get something to eat. And it was probably going to be pho from two, two stores down. Not saying I'm going to die in City Heights. Or Chick-fil-A. Unless I, unless I get resurrected on a Sunday. Then I'm in trouble. You never know. Raise your hand if you got friends that don't believe in God. I got friends who don't believe in God. I do consider them friends. Some are atheists. Atheists don't believe God exists at all. I can't respect that. I'll t I tell them this too. It's not like I'm talking behind their back. I say it to their face. I don't respect that position of an atheist. I think that's an arrogant approach. To know that there's no God that exists, you would have to have knowledge of everything in the universe. You would have to know everything to know for certain that God doesn't exist. But if you knew everything, that would make you God. And then you'd be proving yourself wrong. See how that works? It's a little mind twist. So I don't respect the atheist approach. I have other friends who are...
agnostic. You guys know what that means? An agnostic is someone who believes that you can't know if God exists. You can't know if he exists or he doesn't exist. Now, I find that approach respectable. In fact, I'll be honest with you guys. I think that approach is accurate. Yes. I don't think that you can know that God exists. For sure. On your own merits. Let me put it to you like this. Were you there to see the creation of the universe and the earth? They say that we evolved from a common ancestor, but no one saw that either, so I don't know. It makes us all even. Are we going to be there to see the end of it all? Probably not. Depends. I was going to make a political joke, and I'm, I'm going to stop right there. I See, I caught myself. You know what I was going to say? No, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> see, I have self-control. That's a fruit of the Spirit. No! We weren't there to see if God created the world, so how can we know? We can't approach God if he really exists, because God is too great and too powerful. Here's what I want. If God exists, guys, and he created the heavens and the earth, the universe is so big. You know how arrogant it is to think that you could figure that out and know God? How could you know God? That would be like an ant. A little ant. That was, oh yeah, those are people, they live here. I'm just in their yard. A little ant has no concept of a human. It can't understand us. If it thinks it sees us, it just sees the bottom of our shoe. It has no idea that we could just be like, squish. Or that we're thinking, and that we make music, and that we're, we're beautiful and powerful. It has no concept. Its brain is too small. It can't conceive. As some of the youth group kids are like, who created God? And I'm like, nobody. They're like, well, that doesn't make sense. You can't figure it out. God's too great. So I actually like the idea of an agnostic, that you can't know God. He's too great for you to understand and for you to comprehend, with one exception. And that is this exception. If God decides that he wants to be made known, if God decides that he wants to be made known, he certainly is smart enough that he could explain himself to us. Amen? And God did decide that he wanted to make himself known, and he came to earth in the likeness of a man, Jesus, to express to us his will and purpose in creating us. It is impossible to know God unless God chooses for us to know him and show himself. We can't be wise or holy enough to understand or know God on our own, but he can show us if he chooses, and he did through Jesus. That's why the disciples were like, Jesus, when are you going to show us the Father? And he's like, have you seen me? You've seen the Father. He's the exact representation of the Father. See, John figured this out. John went with Jesus into the room while Jesus pulled the little girl up. And later on, John wrote in his gospel that Jesus is the Word of God. Everybody say the Word of God. Back in the olden um, days, in the early church, they called Jesus the Word. That he's the Word. The Logos in Greek. He's the Word. They called him the Word. That was the euphemism for Jesus. 
But I know that doesn't, it's more of a Hebrew style word. So let me explain it to like how we would explain it. It's like saying that Jesus is the expression of God. God wanted to express himself to us. And so Jesus came from heaven and showed us the way. He showed us about God, who God was. He's the voice of God to humans expressing to us what he wants us to know. Telling us how to fill the hole in our lives, to come to peace, to come to healing and to stop weeping. Now these people were only learning about Jesus. And they probably didn't understand it all at this point. But what they did understand is that if they sought him out, and as many as the crowd that were doing that, and they were able to touch him, they would be healed and their lives would be set straight. And that's our challenge this morning. Can we get the band up? If you're already a believer, I can tell you you're probably going to go through a lot of issues. Jairus was the synagogue leader. He believed in God. He was up there with the rest of them. And he had to seek out Jesus. Are you hurt and broken? Are you suffering from all the destruction life has to offer? Well, now's the time to seek out God and let him fill that hole. It's a mistake for us to go at it alone. It's a mistake for us to go at it alone. Jesus came to earth to take up our iniquities, to take our sins, to take our broken hearts, to fill up the holes that are left in our lives. Whether you're a low person, an outcast from society, like this woman with no name, or whether you're like a rich, doing well guy, running the synagogue, running the church, I want to be honest with you guys. I got to go to Jesus all the time. I got to go to Jesus. I know what they say. The pastors are supposed to be the strong people and lead people. But you know what? I'm not really that strong. I'm actually kind of weak. And I need to stay connected to Jesus. I start getting away from Jesus. And my wife's like, go read your Bible. <laughs> I start getting away from Jesus in my heart. You know, it's like Peter on the water. I start sinking. And I'm like, ah! The waves are going to, I'm going to drown Jesus. And he's like, you stop believing for a second there. Jake pulls me up out. I have a feeling that's all of us, you know, that's all of us. So I want to take an opportunity today to pray. I feel like we all got empty spots going on in us. We could try to fill them with certain things. It's going to be okay for a little bit. You'll feel all right. You get excited about the next thing and then it's over. And then you're back at square one. Man, what's this about? Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? Well, Jesus is here to show us that God will fill that hole. That God will answer our prayers. That he will heal us. That he will bring us to the next level. So let's pray. Everybody pray with me, please. And um, I'm going to be available. To, I guess I'll go over here. I'll be available to pray with people over here. Um, we got two songs or one song? Um, I'm also going to open up communion at this time. If you're a baptized Christian, uh, communion is for you to remember that agreement that we have with Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins 
and the reuniting of us with God. If you're baptized, it's open for you. If you're not baptized, talk to me. We'll get baptized. And if anyone needs prayer, if you're feeling a hole, if you need someone to pray over you, struggling, I'll pray for you. Uh, we'll be right over here. Either uh, Kuna or I will pray for you. So let's pray just to open up this time of ministry. Father God, thank you that Jairus was wise enough to seek after Jesus. Thank you that this woman, although she was kind of afraid to be seen because she was an outcast, even though she had to sneak it, she went after Jesus. Thank you, God, that when Jesus exposed her, he didn't shame her, but he just pronounced her healed because of her faith. I God, I pray that you'll raise up that faith in us. Whatever our circumstances are, there's hard stuff going on. A few months ago, God, we didn't know if our church was even going to be here, and you just came through. And that's just an example of the ways that you want to come through in our lives. So we pray that, God, you'll begin to work in our hearts right now, Lord. We pray that you'll just grow us and move us forward in faith to the next step, that you'll fill the hole in our hearts, just like what happened to Pascal, who became one of the greatest theologians of his time that you'll just do a radical change in us no matter where we're at and that we'll sow it into the inside of our coat and never forget it. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you come this morning. Be with us this week as we move forward in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.